Hey there, I'm Karch Kirai, head coach of the USA women's national volleyball team, and you are listening to the USA Volleyball Show. City, Colorado Springs, Colorado. This is the USA Volleyball Show. And here are your hosts, Clarence Hughes and Stephen Munson. Hello and welcome to the USA Volleyball Show, the official podcast of USA Volleyball. Please leave a message after the beat. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was bad. Yep, I lost my voice yesterday. <laughs> and that was a big crack. But yes, episode number 60, we are here at the big six zero here in March. Wow. First episode yeah. of the month of March. And it's also Women's History Month. Fun fact. Big six zero. That's crazy. Yeah, it sounds like you did uh, did a lot of coaching this week and lost your voice a little bit. A lot of coaching, a lot of yelling, <laughs> you know, not no yelling, yelling, but you know it's the loud. Yeah. Well, those yeah, those convention centers get very loud. Um, I uh, I was at Sunshine uh, the weekend two of Sunshine in Orlando, and uh, I did a few interviews throughout the weekend, and I I realized uh, that I just was yelling into the mic because it was so loud. the whole time you don't even Literally. notice it. Yeah, no, didn't even notice. But yeah, it was a great, uh, great weekend at Sunshine. A lot of great competition, great clubs out there. Um, some awesome moments I was able to to see, and uh, found out some some interesting things uh, from from the players, uh, including favorite tournament snacks. Ooh, what is that? And, what is that? Um, uh, some of the big ones were acai bowls. And you know, most convention most convention centers have a little acai bowl. What is that vendor snack? Those are pretty big. That's pretty. That's a pretty hefty snack. Yeah, <laughs> that's a filling snack. Got to circle back on that. One. <laughs> uh, goldfish was another popular. Oh, sir. Yeah. Uh, fruits like grapes. I think was a was a popular one. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that that was that was a lot of fun. I think cheese like. Cheese was really popular too, which was fun. Which was funny, but yeah, a little string cheese. There's there's one girl, string uh, cheese. One club had like a tackle box. It was literally like a fishing tackle box, really, just filled with like different snacks and like all the dividers, which was very smart. I thought that's cool. You know what I also see like uh, some clubs do, like you know when teams are on the sideline and uh, you know it's time for them to get on the court and they have uh, they're just like. 40 hydro flasks all over the place. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A ball goes there and they just, it looks like a bowling alley. Bowling <laughs> <laughs> Well, some, some clubs have been bringing like those, like the, you know, the crates, kind of like a milk crate with the, like the whole. Oh thing. yeah. And put them all in there. And it's just like, so easy you kind of manage. I'm like, wow. And carry yeah. around. Carry the around. neat freak in me loves that. I might have to buy something for my two organizer in you. Yeah. Organizer. Yeah. I love that. That's very smart. Yeah. I think that's a hilarious sight when the when the ball just knocks over all the uh hydro flask <laughs> it's just yeah i'm like ah, clean it up. <laughs> but i did see 
your Hawaiian shirt. What did you think of that theme? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Actually, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how many athletes, clubs, coaches, parents, uh, and even officials got into the the Hawaiian shirt spirit, Hawaiian shirt mm-hmm. day spirit. And uh, a lot of officials were up on the stands wearing Hawaiian I shirts or lays. That was so uh-huh. cool. Yeah. What, yeah. A lot I, of I'm clubs. A- uh, actually, one uh, group of parents, one group of dads um, had Hawaiian shirts with their daughter's faces on like spread out really which was super that cool so embarrassing <laughs> but I, <laughs> I got a good photo of it on on the usa volleyball instagram there I so you can that. check that out <laughs> oh yeah it's, it's good it's good to notice that teams are just all into the theme days the hawaiian shirt days tropical shirt days um mm-hmm. there may or may not be a mustache day for opens 2023 oh, okay. we'll see we'll, we'll see what i can pull off here but uh there's that and then you know at the pink shirt days or purple for you know certain awareness months and days and such mm-hmm. like that too they're all into it and i love it so we may need to incorporate that a lot more into you know these i think events. yeah i think uh events team should definitely keep continuing to do that that's i i i was pleasantly surprised with how many uh many people just got into it it was awesome cool. Yeah, weird. good. Seems like it was some good competition, good event, good weather in Orlando, which yeah, is great weather all. Which is which is for me when I travel to Florida. I feel like it's always just a torrential downpour whenever I go there, but it was great. Yeah, I still have PTSD from last year. We had from last year. <laughs> we had like I I think close to either ten or over ten rain delays. And how do you have a rain delay inside? <laughs> at an indoor facility when there's a lot of rain outside and you have the rain delay inside <laughs> yeah not my best moment not my favorite moment most memorable for sure hey, it's, it's in the past it's in the past and we had a great successful <laughs> sunshine this year and right. that's what we can remember now <laughs> well let's uh let's continue on uh with this episode great to catch up with you as well it's, it's been a while we're we're in the heat of it right now uh travel season right now event into the thick of it into the thick of it. <laughs> that was great. Uh, but yeah, in case you missed it, February was Region Commissioners Month. We had three different USA Volleyball Regional Commissioners, uh, starting with Cody March from SEBA, that's Columbia Empire Region, Jen Armson Dyer from Badger Region, and this most recent episode, our most recent episode with Steve Meath from Gateway Region. Be sure to check out all those episodes as we dive into their roles as USAV commissioners, regional commissioners, uh, and talk about what they're doing to help grow the game and so much more from them. More info on for more info on USAB regions, you can and how you can become a member, visit usavolleyball.org and check out those websites or check out those episodes, I should say, on your favorite podcast platform, or you can watch them on the USA Volleyball YouTube channel as well. Let's move on to news with Hughes. The 2023 USA Volleyball Beach National Championship will return to Fort Lauderdale, Florida on July 18th through the 23rd. Registration is now open on usavbracketpal.com. All questions can be directed to beachevents at usav.org. Are you interested in men's college volleyball? Because I know I am. Love it. Uh, check out our website for weekly roundups to stay up to date on results, rankings, and key matchups, and much, much more. More on these and all other news items at 
always usavolleyball.org. Now, on to today's show. Back in December, we interviewed several guests live from the 2022 ABCA convention. Of those awesome guests that we interviewed, two of them uh, will be featured in this episode with Brooke Rundle of Equality Coaching Alliance and Marie Zydek from DePaul University. Uh, she's the head coach there. They talk about their backgrounds in volleyball, their involvement in the Equality Coaching Alliance, the work they're doing to support the LGBTQ plus community, and much, much more. Let's get to it. Here's Brooke and Marie. Brooke, Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, Brooke and Marie, you're both from Equality Coaching Alliance, but would love to know a little bit more about yourselves, your background. So we'll start with Brooke. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me here today. My name is Brooke Rundle. I use she, they pronouns, and I'm uh, getting my doctorate in sport performance psychology. And I work in clinical mental health. And I played volleyball at UC Santa Barbara back in the day. was an All-American and played professionally over in Europe for a few years. And now awesome. I'm working with the um, Sports Equality Foundation, um, teaching about LGBTQ inclusion. Cool. Marie? Uh, my name is Marie Zydek. I am the current head coach at DePaul University. Uh, born and raised in Chicago. I uh, had a chance to, to work at San Diego a while, and I have competed in the gym that Brooke uh, played in. I always joke, though, that my mom was an All-American. I'm My track, I can be an All-American drill facilitator. My mom was a far that. better <laughs> volleyball player than me. But, um, you know, I grew up, she was a, she's been a coach for nearly 40 years, and um, I had a chance to grow up in a house that just loved the game, loved sports, and um, the sport of volleyball has pretty much taken me all over the world. Um, but I do have a sport physio background. Um, so that's where, you know, I, I compliment the, the love for volleyball. Um, been in coaching now for 15 years. Uh, the dark side, or I guess the dark side's admin, <laughs> but uh, I hope no administrator. No, I'm just joking. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been coaching now for 15 years. And what I have continued to realize is there, there really, I do have a passion for, for helping others through using the sport of volleyball. And it's really a cool time in 2022 that we can start talking about um, a, a lot of different identities and, and how we can continue to bring those different identities into the sporting space. And that's something that we try to do and, and I try to do and um, just happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that with you here and then about your roles too here at the ABCA convention. But really quick, I want to hear about that hook that you had uh, in you beat volleyball. Me to it. I was going to bring that up. Uh, what was that hook for you in volleyball? You know, was it walking into your mom's gym when, when you were younger? But what, what, what got you in the game? Wow. We're going way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I, volleyball has been in my life as long as I can remember. My, my dad actually played on the Olympic team in 1968. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Back in Mexico City. Yeah. Um, and my mom played volleyball at UCLA and then transferred to UCSB. So both of my parents played growing up and, um, I just, I don't know. I think I just always had a volleyball around. Just always in the family, in the genes. <laughs> it, it was yeah. in the genes. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I think for me, you know, I relate to life a lot through movement. Um, and I just love moving. I love playing sports and volleyball, obviously in growing up when you, when you do walk into a gym and you get a chance to see, you know, you, you probably watched your father and, and you get a chance to see people and your mom doing it at a really high level. You want to 
do it too, right? And and so I was a little girl in diapers running around the gym begging people to pepper with me, you know, at three <laughs> yeah. years old and uh, and just floater spiking the crap out of balls at people because I was tiny. But um, I, I just think it was the hook of the movement and the synergy and the connectiveness um, a, as it relates to being a part of a great team sport. And I just think volleyball has that. Um, I'm undersized. Um, I was a setter and a lib when a lib became a position, you know, um, but I just, I love serving, uh, people. I love making people, um, you know, feel more comfortable with themselves. And, and, uh, that, that's what hooked me was the team aspect and the physical aspect of, of always the off ball and on ball. It, it's just a very synergistic sport and the rhythm of it, you know, still to this day, it's why I still coach. It's, it's the most peace I feel in my life is when I'm in a volleyball gym. And I know that's odd to say when it's 13 all in the fifth set, but it just makes me feel like the most complete version of myself. I love that quote. Just the most peace you feel just being in the gym. That's so awesome. Mm -hmm. So, and also, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is the first ECA panel, uh, first live ECA panel um, at the ABCA convention. It's, it's the first live one. Yeah. We've done remotely the last two years and I don't know of any conversation around LGBTQ inclusion that has happened before that may have happened behind closed doors. I mean, as Marie and I were preparing for this, we talked about how sort of growing up, it, it was always a conversation that people didn't want to talk about. People told us to, you know, not, not share our identity, keep that just sort of out of sight, out of mind. So to, to be able to have this space now where we're actually having an opportunity to talk about it, celebrate role models, um, it's, it, it is forward progress and, and, you know, it's, it's very exciting to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Forward progress, you know, obviously good progress. And, you know, we also want to keep to like, keep in light, keep, keep in light and keep in mind that, you know, there's a long road ahead of us and there's a long, a lot more that needs to happen here. So what are some of those goals? And, uh, you know, they can be short term, long term or, you know, just, you know, convention based here that you're looking to get out of, you know, being here for these live sessions, being here to be able to, you know, have these conversations. Yeah, um, we have a lot of goals. <laughs> you know, I think I think one of the goals is to just first of all just create awareness um, that you know if if you identify as LGBTQ, you're a coach, you're a player, you're not alone. Um, there's a group of us. The Sports Equality Foundation is a network, a social network, pro, um, providing education, empowerment. Um, opportunities to support each other, um, so you don't you don't have to navigate this space alone. There's also to help with allyship. Um, we want to promote and educate, coach LGBTQ inclusion at the college level, at the club level, international level, everywhere, so that LGBTQ identifying people, athletes feel comfortable playing volleyball and bringing their whole self to the volleyball court. They don't have to show up and leave part of their identity behind or, or stay in the closet. And so just promoting that education and awareness um, to make the sport safer for the LGBTQ community. As you have talked with each other about preparing for the presentation that you're giving, and correct me if I'm wrong, but winning the LGBTQ plus game in, vo in volleyball, is that mm -hmm. correct? The yeah, title? that's right. Okay, awesome. That's right. Uh, as you guys are preparing for that, what are the like kind of the talking points or what are those discussions between yourselves and what you want to get out of that? What's the focus of that presentation? Yeah. Well, I think when, when Brooke first reached out and um, also Kirk Walker uh, reached out as well, um, I, 
I think it's kind of two pronged. I think Brooke's done a phenomenal job of setting up the structure in the space. Um, what I hope to bring to the panel today is uh, shared stories. You know, I, I think building a collective narrative so people know that they're they're not alone, and that the easiest way to feel that is to hear someone else say something and be able to identify with that statement and say, "Wow, okay, I've I have felt like that too." Okay, whew, you know, um, I I have found extreme comfort in knowing that. And um, also, I think it's about, you know, when we talk about creating spaces, it's not only on coaches, it's also on administrators and athletic departments and universities as a whole. I work in higher education, so I can really only speak to that population. But what are we doing collectively, you know, within the whole ecosystem of collegiate athletics and within university systems? And and how can we continue to drive those relationships forward in a constructive manner? Um, and so for me, it's it's really about sharing strategies and ways if people are running into obstacles of how to continue ha- to have bipartisanship in this process. And I know that's a, usually a political term, but it's it can be used in a lot of different ways. We need to find ways to communicate um, in a world where communication seemingly is becoming more extreme on both ends. Um, So it's just continuing to find common ground and and not only create space for for the coaches, but really we have to start bringing in people who who create those structures for us to function in those spaces. And that's been a big focus of mine um, the past couple years, in addition to making sure that my own space continues to be truly inclusive um, with language and how we, you know, just how we structure every activity we do. And and it's not going to be perfect, but we also set that expectation that it an opportunity, if you do make a mistake, is an opportunity for growth. And I think that needs to continue to be the focus. It's not a, you know, you have to come over here or else. I think there's just, there needs to be continued collaboration and continued bipartisanship throughout the whole ecosystem at, at every level. So at the at the club slash you know junior level to be more specific too, um, uh, uh, just for um, just for reference too, I, I do a lot of uh, event managing on you know our indoor event side, you know from Salt Lake City Showdown, Sunshine Classic Qualifier. I, I also help run our um, Open National Championships there too, uh, on the adult side of things too. But um, uh, you know when having these conversations and you know. Just trying to, you know, create that inclusive environment, trying to create that safe space for, uh, you know, for athletes here. Um, when when someone asks, why should I take these steps? What are some what what are some of the reasonings behind that? What 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 is the best way to, uh, you know, formulate a response there? Yeah, I think, you know, especially when we're talking about at the club level, um, I get that question a lot. You know, why should we do it? And the, the thinking behind that question is oftentimes, um, and we don't have anyone in our, in our team or club that identifies as LGBTQ. And my response is always like, how do you know that, you know, is your club or is your program a safe space for them to come out? Because if, if you don't have anyone that, that is out in your space, statistically, then we're looking at around anywhere from around 5%. LGBT of people identifies LGBTQ. So statistically, that's probably not true. And what's probably more likely to be true is that the people that do identify as LGBTQ in your space don't feel safe and comfortable coming out. And so that's where really we need to back up and really start there. That have the conversation around how do we make this a safe place for people? Because 
right now in our country, we're in the middle of a mental mental health crisis. And when we have um, such high suicide rates among the LGBTQ youth, um, I, I'm not going to quote a number because it's always changing. Um, but the reality is, is that LGBTQ athletes are twice as likely to drop out of sports more than than athletes that don't identify as LGBTQ. And they're also more susceptible to to mental health crisis. And so if you really care about your athletes, if you really care about the athlete or the coach, because this is a conversation about coaches too, in front of you, then that is your answer. That is the why. Um, we need to center our athletes in our programs and center our coaches. It's, it's really a, a question of humanity. C- can we honor the person in front of us and respect their identity and, and, and acknowledge their identity and, and create a safe space to support them so that they can thrive and participate in the program? Um, so I, I think that's, you know, that's the why for, for, that I see for me and maybe different for others. Yeah, I think, you know, it's... Um, it- it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I can say most. Most coaches that I've talked to here at, at this convention are in it for the student athletes. You know, that's why we coach. You know, very few of us make millions and millions of dollars um, and have fancy yachts and 15 houses, you know, and um, I wish I did. You know, but <laughs> I don't. You know, most of us get into coaching and or teaching to serve our youth um, or to serve people. And with that is called the burden of leadership. You have a burden of leadership and the burden of responsibility is to come into a space educated um, and able to communicate with people where they are. And that means you have to have trauma-informed training. You know, I've gone through so many trauma-informed coaching strategy trainings. Um, I've gone through, you know, student uh, child development you know, where, where is this person at, you know, relative to their behavioral development? Where should they be relative to this age? Or is there behavior that's sticking out that maybe is a red flag that I need to elevate to a, a professional? Because you're in there, you, you are the, you are their caretaker when they're in your space. They are your responsibility. And whether you're the most influential person in their life or not, when they're with you in that space, it is your responsibility to care for them as the entire human being that they are. You don't get to choose to just see them as an athlete because that's what you signed up for as a coach. And so I just think it comes down to a simple acknowledgement. And now I'm getting a little competitive, a little edgy in my voice. And I understand that. But I really feel passionate that when when children are in your care, you assume that burden of liability and responsibility. So you better be prepared to interact with them in a way that respects the dignity of who they are and understand that we're not finished products and you have a certain level of responsibility to how you communicate with them and how you continue to allow them to feel comfortable in that space. So it has very little to do with what you believe or don't believe, I, I, I think. Uh, and this is my opinion. Um, it has very little to do what you believe, what you don't believe, what your political affiliation is, and it has everything to do with the responsibility of what you signed up for as a coach. Yeah, talking about leadership and that responsibility, and like you mentioned, as a coach, as an educator, that's why you got into it, is to serve the youth and and um, make that generation better, that next generation better. 
Um, what are some ways that, you know, if they're called a club directors listening, a coach is listening, a teacher's listening, what are some ways they can create that inclusive environment and that safe space like you were talking about? Sure. I'll start with some ideas on the club level. Um, if I'm an LGBTQ athlete, the first thing I want to do when I'm looking for a club to play for, I, I want to know what how, how, what is their policy on LGBTQ inclusion and, and is this a safe place for me to play? So the first the first is just start with your website, throw up a rainbow flag, maybe an inclusion statement, maybe a, a fan code of conduct for the for your gym. Um, those should exist anyways. That that promotes in, inclusion um, and protects all athletes on the basis of sexual orientation, gender, race, everything in your space. That is your responsibility. That's going to be an indicator to me as an athlete that and, and, and a parent that that is a safe or that at least they're aware and starting to take steps um, and then back that up. Right. So what would what, what actionable strategies um, celebrate the identities of LGBTQ players and coaches? Um, if you are, if you're not aware of where, go to Outsports. Outsports promotes um, LGBTQ athletes and coaches. There's a lot of volleyball players on that site. Um, it's great to read about. You know, if you have an LGBTQ coach within your within your club um, or your program, don't ask them to hide their identity. Normalize it. It doesn't have to be um, a huge conversation. We're just asking for the same respect that you would conversations that you would have about any other relationship. So inviting them to bring their partner to the banquet or to the tournament, you know, and not, and not hiding that person. So it's really just about, um, normalizing the identities, creating space, celebrating, um, inclusion. And then if, if you don't know what to do or you need help navigating this, reach out. I mean, we are in a network of coaches, of educators, of advocates, um, be happy to, um, provide advice, share information, come talk to your club. We do speaking and advocacy. We've, we've spoken with athletic departments and clubs about how to create a safer place for your program. So that, that is also available too. Um, but I think again, it just goes back to like celebrating identities and protecting that space. So, and that's easy. That doesn't require any more time. What I hear a lot um, is that, hey, I'm, I'm really time crunched. I have to get through these trainings and then I have to plan practice. And a lot of these coaches are have other jobs and they have families and they have other obligations. Maybe they're caring for sick family members, right. for example. Um, so you have to come up with a way uh, that respects their time and also creates the space. And in the examples that Brooke mentioned doesn't. I mean, hanging up a, a rainbow flag in your facility <laughs> takes 10 minutes. Um, so there are ways that there, there's low hanging fruit, as I like to say. And then I do think, you know, with with I know every club director out there has start of the year meetings and they have coaching handbooks and coaching philosophies. Um, and they they have usually it's a packet of papers that goes out as well to parents and adding in, you know, something like this uh, because they already have everything else. You know how we're going to handle misdues, how we're going to handle if your you know, child, you know, whatever, you know, can't play anymore or is injured. How are we going to handle that? You know, they're they're already they've already thought through all these different scenarios. Um, so adding that would be extremely helpful um, for parents and um, 
And then educating your coaches. Uh, again, it, it comes back to the burden of leadership and um, it needs to be part of, we get so much training on how to plan practice, you know, and, and how to, and that's needed, of course, but this needs to be built in as well. You know, how to speak with somebody, you know, who may be trying to have a difficult conversation with you. Communication skills, you know, trauma-informed coaching uh, is, there's plenty of trainings out there for, for trauma-informed coaching and, and for education in those realms that can make you better prepared for those situations. Because, you know, to everyone listening, it's not if, it's when. You right. know, you yeah. are going to have an athlete. I always say you coach long enough, you go through every scenario. The highs, the lows on the court, the highs, the lows off the court, you go through every scenario. Um, and you have to continue to prepare yourself emotionally and mentally to handle these very delicate situations because 10 minutes could affect that the rest of that kid's life, how you handle these moments. And it's not always the best moments. The best moments are easy to handle. It's, it's the hard, really hard moments. Um, and nobody's great at that because I'm human. Everyone's human. Everyone has emotions and everyone has different ways of communication. And if you're not constantly preparing, I'm constantly preparing and I'm 38 and I've I have been constantly preparing, but I always encounter situations where I'm like, wow, I, I really need to prepare for that, you know? Um, so I think just having a thirst to continue to prepare yourself because again, it's, it's human being to human being in those situations. Right. Is there a large variance or difference in the level of volleyball, um, that these steps are applied to, or maybe kind of tweaked or adjusted based on the approach, like on the collegiate level or the club level, or are we talking high school here? Does that approach change at all? Um, I don't think the response changes in terms of you have an LGBTQ player come out to you for the first time. The posture is is that that one I encourage is just is just acceptance and love, right, and celebration of that identity. I don't think that posture changes the the pressures around like public that that change. I think it gets harder and harder to come out publicly the more the spotlight is on an athlete or a coach. Um, and so with that, you know, it, it, it can it can become harder for folks um, in terms of what you can do to promote inclusion might also change. So some colleges have started, you know, at, at, well, at the pro level um, in other sports, we see like pride events, right? Um, like a baseball game or the Dodgers or things like that. They're going to have a, a pride event. Um, I haven't seen that yet in 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 volleyball for sure like a specific i'm sorry at the at the pro level but in the college level Mm -hmm. we do are seeing college teams have like a pride night Mm -hmm. at their at their game and and there's some there's a lot of different things you can do you can promote um it's a great way to promote inclusion Mm -hmm. um it's also a great way to um you know celebrate other identities and you can as a university you could partner with the lgbtq center on campus Mm -hmm. there's resources there um well, at, so th- those are ideas of things at like the the college and the pro level that might be available. That you know, maybe at the at the club level, I'm not I'm not sure of any. I haven't heard of anything like that happening. I think the strategies do change because you have different liability issues with you know when you're when you're with club in high school. Obviously, you need parental permission for for some things for a lot of things. When you get to college, past 18, they're adults, so there's a little bit more freedom to just run with something. Um, so like. You know, I coach at the largest Catholic school in the country and we had a, we hosted a pride night. Awesome. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it, you know, I didn't have to get anyone's permission. <laughs> I just, you know, we did it and the campus loved it. Um, so I think, 
that's really the only difference I can think of when it comes to strategies mm-hmm. is, you know, when, when you deal with youth, you, you have to be very thorough and organized with how you present, um, whether it be events or, you know, because you, you obviously, if there's just a different dynamic at play there, um, and you want it to be a positive experience. And to the point that Brooke said, you know, normalizing it, it it's, it's interesting. So the pressure on people, so I, at least I'll just speak from my experience. I, I didn't, you know, when I came out or what I like to term, let others in, uh, when I let other, others in to that part of my identity, I, I didn't want a big to do. I just wanted it normal. I wanted it just as normal. I wanted to hold hands with my girlfriend, just like, a, uh, you know, my friend would hold hands with her boyfriend. And I just wanted us to both be able to do that. And I didn't need, um, and, and I'll, again, I can only speak from my experience, but it, it, it actually took me longer to let others in because, you know, some people, you know, wanted to, you know, celebrate that like so much, like, Oh my God, I'm so happy for you. And I'm so like, I'm totally cool with that. And I didn't, you know, first off, I hate when people say that, (laughs) you know, like, cool. Like I'm cool with you wearing pants too. Like, sounds good. I'm glad we're both cool with normal things. But, um, I I just, I, I wanted to just, be myself and not have the spotlight on. I I didn't, but I know some people really enjoy that and I want to respect that as well. So I I think things change based on the environments you're in. And and certainly I, I approach things from sometimes a liability standpoint, just because I don't want that moment for that child to go so negative because someone decides to take that moment away from that person and go in this direction because they're you know, there's just a, they're responsible for, for their child and all that. So, you know, I just think thinking things through and, and like Brooke said, using resources that have worked and, um, because that, that moment and that space and that event needs to be really positive and not a negative thing. Right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experience. Um, and, and just kind of bouncing off of that with, you know, talking about normalizing it and everybody's different too, and, and want different things, different reactions. Um, why, why don't athletes feel comfortable? Athletes and coaches feel comfortable coming out and within their community. Um, and you know, maybe the answer to that might help a club director or coach or someone listening, uh, to create that inclusive environment. I think um, that's a great question and also like a really personal question in the sense that the answer is probably going to be, you know, there there may be threads of similarities, but it's going to be very different and personal for for each person. Um, I, I think that you know, I'll, I'll speak for me in that I, I came out very late. I came out after I was I was done playing professionally, um, and there was I experienced internalized homophobia, and I didn't even know what that term meant until like a couple of years ago when I started studying about studying about the implications of that. So, um, really quick, could you? I don't I don't know myself. Can you speak a little bit about? What yeah. That so, in, internalized homophobia is is we think. Of about the messaging that we receive about our identity, Um, the messaging that I received about identifying as a lesbian or as non-binary growing up was that was there there was it was there was a lot of shame around it and that it's something to be hidden and that I should I should I should present as feminine and 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 especially if I'm on a team like a UC Santa Barbara volleyball team that you know showing up with my spandex and bows in my hair and presenting as feminine and and that that's that is 
part of the culture. It's a culture, a culture problem. And it's the messages that we receive from media and, and at, and everywhere in our life. And so growing up, I've internalized those messages and felt shame around the feeling that I did not fit in to that model. I didn't fit and I should just keep trying to fit. And it, it just never really worked. And it was at the expense of my own mental health. Um, eating disorder um, is something that I had experienced that I feel very much tied to the experience of um, internalized homophobia. That's something that's very common among LGBTQ athletes and people in general. Um, so there's all sorts of ways that we sacrifices that we make to or mental health implications is probably the more accurate way to say it in order to fit culture fit. And so that that was my experience of just trying to fit, trying to fit and then realizing I can't do this anymore. I need to just be myself, be who I am and and, and get healthy. And, and, and the process of getting healthy for me was was in line with the process of becoming more fully authentic. And that, that, that was an extremely empowering journey for me personally. And that is what I want to help um, LGBTQ youth and others, um, adults too, because everyone's in a different place, go on that journey of um, authenticity and, and, and health. So. I think it's fear of being treated differently. You know, I think it's it's a blend of it can be a blend of the it can be the environment um, that prohibits people from um, coming out or letting others in, depending upon how you want to see it. Um, but it also can be, you know, to what Brooke's saying, there's an internal environment as well that interacts with your environment. And it's the combat. It, I think it's a, it's a blend of those two things most of the time, because I really respect my athletic identity. I relate to life as an athlete. And I didn't know how to have space for more than one identity. You know, I was a good student as well, but like, whatever that, that I just did that. But I really wanted to be seen as an athlete when I was growing up. And I still do, which is why these eight pounds that I'm still trying to shake from having my baby are really messing with my head right now, just to be fully <laughs> honest. But, you know, I really do still value my athletic identity. And so I, I didn't want internally, I didn't want another identity to take over and, and for people to be asking me about that identity, regardless of what it was. Um, I just happened to be lesbian in this case because I was afraid it was going to take away from athletic identity. And to Brooke's point, I, I think volleyball, and this is going to be my opinion, but volleyball is a very heteronormative, you know, it celebrates heteronormativity a lot, especially in the women's side. I don't think as much on the men's side, but I've, I'm not a, a man and I've never played men's volleyball. Um, but I have seen it on the women's side where, you know, it's, um, it's just, it's the, it's the, the difference in cultures, you know? Um, and so I think too, you know, it's just, it's a fear of being treated different than what you want to be seen as. It's, it's a fear of being seen as something that you, you don't want it to take. And, and then what I figured out over time is we're a blend of a ton of identities, right? Um, which is what our young children are, are learning now. And, and they're going to be hopefully in, and my son is 18 months. I hope that he's in a world now where 
he can celebrate his interracial identity and celebrate all his different identities and talk about them. And they're the kids coming up now are way more educated than us coaches. And I'm only 38, you know, so it's we're we're entering a realm where they're coming up and, and they're like looking at us like, why don't you know how to have these conversations? Why don't you know these terms? You know, so I think it's a blend of the environment, but I, I do agree with Brooke that there's an internal pressure there that we all have to create or we all create. And I think you have to look that in the mirror and face it at some point and, and acknowledge it and respect it and then try to process through it. Yeah. And it's a dismantling. It's a dismantling of the messaging that that is constantly yep. being fed. And it, it, it sort of never stops. To me, it just feels like a, a journey is something that you have to just keep keep working on of, of rejecting messages about identity that 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 don't belong or don't fit or are harmful. So it's a constant work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can athletes and coaches, club directors, parents, spectators, um, you know, anyone in the in, in this volleyball community um, show allyship and support and, you know, create that safe space and help create that safe space that we're you know aspiring to, you know, kind of achieve to you know, get there. I start with one thing. I think at a foundational level, you have to be willing to have a conversation, even if you have strong um, convictions that differ than someone else's convictions. Absolutely. You have to be willing to have a conversation with people that are different than you are. You have to be willing to, you know, recognize where you have limitations and you still again it comes back to the response it is your responsibility in the sports space to show up in a professionalized manner and i think the mentally framing it first you know before we get to the checklist of activities and i'm sure brooks could write a book on that of all the different strategies but i think people have to check you have to check yourself before you wreck yourself you know like you have to check you have to become aware of what your own biases and opinions and convictions are. And and then you have to learn how to walk into a space and have those and still respect the other. Even if you do not have those same beliefs, even if you do not have those same convictions, even if you really are struggling to understand another person's identity. That, that's not the end goal. The end goal is not to take on another person's identity. The goal is to be able to walk into a space and build a bridge between two human beings and, and have a respectful discussion and, and a respectful thirst of learning. And, and I'll, I just wanted to lob that up because I think that mental frame is so important yeah. because if you just get to the list of things and you don't account for the fact, people are just going to rip your, your sheet up or mm-hmm. not. They're not going to walk into that space constructively willing to, to walk into it. And I think people need to humble themselves. We need to humble ourselves. I don't know everything. We may have differences, but I need to humble myself. I am, I am not God. <laughs> I am just Marie, you know, and it's Friday and we're here having a conversation. You have to humble yourself in the bigger picture of the world. And we have to find a way to do that mentally, to frame it. So when you walk into the space, I can still leave the space and think, you know, whatever I want to think. But there has to be a willingness to at least engage from a place of humility first. 
I love what you said. And, you know, there's tons of lists and resources on like the Trevor Project and Mm -hmm. transathlete.com that you can look to. And I'm not going to go down the list of resources. We'll include some of those um, websites and resources in the show notes. But what I want to do is just focus again, echo what, what Marie just said, which is I think you have to show up and be ready to have a conversation with a posture of curiosity, curiosity about the person in front of you. What is informing, what are your experiences? What is, what's informing your, your, your opinions on things? Like let's sit down and actually learn about one another and listen to each other's story and listen to the ways in which they've hurt and which into the ways that they are currently hurting. Um, so that we can just start there and actually learn about one another. And then I will also add to that, um, as a, as a coach or a parent, or anyone in the the life of an LGBTQ person, I would just say, don't rely on your loved one or your athlete to be the, your educator, do your own education. There are so many resources out there. Do your own education and then show up and be curious in the posture of love. And I think continuing, sorry about that. I I just think going off that language is a powerful tool. Um, And when I'm a head coach and and I'm in charge of my team, even along the recruiting process, I bring my wife into the conversation. I normalize it. I talk about my wife just like I would talk about my husband. Um, We have a child, you know, um, she's in my bio. Again, I work at the largest Catholic university in the country. DePaul University is the largest Catholic university in the country. And I have my wife and my child in my, in my bio, which is public. Um, So I, I think just continuing to show examples that there can be this bipartisan existence um, with entities and ecosystems in our world. And that I think it for me, I always like to see something, you know, and this is how I've always been as, as an athlete. Right. You, you want to learn a move. You watch you, you watch Michael Jordan. Right. If you're a basketball player, you watch Kobe and, you, and then you go out to the playground and you try to emulate what Kobe's doing. You know, I did the same thing in volleyball. You want to be a great volleyball player and watch the Olympics, you know, um, and watch what. Okay, so how's this setter doing this? You know, I I think a a lot of these other things, too, still fall under the same umbrella. You know, I need to go on a website and kids do. They go they go on the interwebs and they look up, you know, do you have representation and are, are your are your coaches talking about things, you know, regardless if, if you have a representative or not from from that group, like Brooke is saying, but just seeing, you know, seeing things and and being able to go, oh, that's that's cool. You know, her wife's in the bio. Awesome. That immediately like relaxes people, you know, um, and makes them feel comfortable walking into the space. So I just think people need to continue to see examples, um, which, again, is the low hanging fruit part um, of, of allyship. I mean, reposting. I mean, social media is such a huge thing um, and and can touch so many people so quickly, uh, it impacts so many people so quickly. It, it takes nothing to retweet uh, an encouraging message. I also come back to the humility piece of being willing to say, wow, I didn't understand this population. I didn't understand how to treat this person. And I made a mistake. I blew it. And I've had that conversation too. I'm, and I'm part of the community, you know, I blew it. I, I did not handle that well. Um, I'm just going to be the first one to own it. And I've, I'm willing to have conversations to get better. I think too, just being able to say that sets up the space. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, my wife is in my bio as well. And it's, it is, um, so important to me to, to have that, to have that space for that. Um, I also just want to add, um, 
believing who the person is they say they are. So mm-hmm. when an athlete comes to you and says, this is my identity, or a child or any loved one, any person, just simply believing that they are who they say they are can be so, so empowering. Uh, we've touched on it a lot and, and just with what you were just saying with um, having conversations with people who realize they made a mistake and they own it, uh, social media, but what what are some of the wins that you've witnessed in, in the inclusion space? Um, you know, that could be just through your work uh, with the ECA or even this weekend maybe. Uh, which, what are some of the wins that you've seen? Well, us being here is, feels like a big win. Having this conversation in this space is, yeah. a, is, a, is a really big win. Um, being able to have a conversation around LGBTQ inclusion in person at the ABCA convention feels like another big win. Um, celebrating out athletes is is a huge win. And I, I, I want us, my hope for the future is that we continue to do a better job of supporting the LGBTQ out athletes and coaches that exist within the volleyball community at every level from club all the way to the, to the national team, because we are, we are here. You are not alone and we want to support and continue. So, so anytime that, um, an identity is, is celebrated to me that that feels like a win when I got into coaching in 2007, I was one of the only out coaches in the country. Um, and I, I started, I've only been in D1, so I can't speak to D2, D3 because I don't have that data. But when I came in 2007, I wasn't even out yet, out or in, and depending. Um, you know, it, I didn't really uh, go through that process until... You know, I, I want to say, you know, probably 2011, 2012. So it took a it took a long time for me to internally, you know, face a lot of those things before I was ready to externally, you know, deal with the, the rest of it. And now in 2022, I mean, at, at at every level of volleyball, people are publicly posting their wedding photos, you know, um, to, you know, uh, to to their husbands, wives. And, um, and I just think that the increase that the win for me is the increased amount of coaches that have normalized major life events like weddings. Um, obviously the Supreme court vote helped with that, um, back in 2013 or what was that? 2013, 2014, 2014. Um, yeah, I think that sounds right. And then just got you know, signed into law yeah, so last is, week. Yeah. So, so this is a sidebar. I'll share this quick story. So yeah, so here's, here's the win for me. 2013, I was in the state of New York, and at that point in time, only five states had legalized uh, same-sex marriage. It had not been legalized at a federal or protected at a federal level. And correct me if I'm using these words incorrectly. I'm only speaking from my experience, but five states. And so I was living in New York, one of those five states, and um, I was working for a head coach who got let go. And I need, I knew then as an assistant, I was going to have to move while my girlfriend and I you know, we're like, well, shit, you know, what do we do if we move to one of the other states that doesn't? So we got married in a living room um, just in case, you know, the Supreme Court was voting on it. What if the Supreme Court voted down or or didn't vote to protect it? And we wanted to to be officially married. Um, So we we did, you know, we went to City Hall and um, and and got the marriage certificate, got married in our living room. And then the next day I played West Virginia, you know, like I practiced, (laughs) I still had my makeup on, like and we went and played a volleyball match. And that, again, that's the beautiful bleeding of the identities. But 
we had to do that. Um, and you know, thankfully I, I ended up moving to California, which I think was one of the other States where it was protected and the Supreme court voted it anyway, which was great. But I was put in that scenario, you know, now I, I wouldn't have to do that. You know, I could choose, like, I wouldn't have to be like, Hey, on a Thursday night, uh, we got to get married quick, you know, cause I don't know where my next job's going to be. Um, but it, it was just such a, a, a beautiful experience. But I say that because now in, in 2022, you know, I have plenty of coaching colleagues that it's out there. It's on their socials. It's they're they're posting these big life events with their significant others, with their spouses. And that for me is the biggest win. Um, it, whereas when I was going through it, I was exceptionally alone and super isolated because I was one of one or one of maybe two. Um, and that was the first one through the wall is always bloody. And it was not a pleasant experience externally, you know, hearing from people that I was committing career suicide um, for doing that. But I pleasantly stuck with it. Obviously, I'm still married. Um, but now in 2022, those same people aren't going through those conversations anymore. I mean, and maybe they are, but it's not at such a huge level because you have student athletes and admins going to these weddings now, celebrating that person in that space, at least at the college level, asking about the significant others. I mean, I work at DePaul. People ask about my wife. Again, largest Catholic school in the country. And, and my athletic department set that standard from day one when I got there. Hey, how's your girlfriend? Hey, how's your wife? You know, how's Steph doing? And I, I just think that that, okay, so that continues to reaffirm, okay, this is normal. I am in a normal relationship, you know, because you do. You got these things that, messages that feed feed the beast in another way. Yeah, the messaging, you know, used to, it used to feel like the messaging was you can you need to choose between your identity and your career. You can't can't have have both. Especially in collegiate athletics. Yeah. Yeah, and and that is something that we're trying to change and is changing. Um, also, I think that the Sports Equality Foundation has just done an incredible job of creating a, a network of of LGBTQ coaches and athletes. So um, that that to me is a huge win. When I look at our TikTok page, there's seventeen thousand plus people. Awesome. I'm just like, wow, yeah. that that we are not alone. And yeah. I think that 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 to me feels like a a huge win. So just continuing the conversations um, and being supportive of one another um, is something to celebrate. It's it, it, it's a lot. Of easier to be an ally than it is to be yeah to be a hater for sure so. <laughs> you go find join it. us I need to go find us. that tiktok page now. That's awesome. <laughs> what what words of support um do you have for you know somebody who you know may have recently came out or is having a difficult time you know with the reactions to uh to the situation you know it could be you know it can be something you know it could be you know somebody coming out or uh, anything along those lines but um you know as you mentioned before you know it's, it's not always um all accepting you know what, what what words of support do you have there or encouragement or just suggestions that you have do you have for you know that person i would say give people a chance you know, and, and I understand that's really hard to experience when you're having a, a, an intimate moment with letting a part of your identity out of the world and somebody steps on that yeah. um, and treats it in a pretty aggressive way um, and or hurtful way. But I think within that moment, it's it's really important to, to remember 
that there is a chance for the, this person to grow because they're seeing this part of my identity. And that's not your responsibility. Their growth is not your responsibility, but you're now in in a position where it, if you can continue to let, that's why I like, let that person in, you know, continue to be who you are and just let that person into this, this part of your identity and, and truly who you are. And people will, if you give people a chance, people can surprise you. You know, when I told my grandmother who at the time was 99 years old, you know, she's lived through, you know, world war, the dust bowl, you know, get, I mean, everything that happened in the sixties, you know, you name it, she's been through it. Um, she was immediately accepting. I didn't think that that was going to be the case. So sometimes you have to give people a chance. And then when I, you know, was navigating the professional space and, and some very close people to me in the career space were, and my family, you know, um, were telling me you're committing career suicide. And that was not an easy thing to hear. Um, but those same people fast forward eight, nine years later are, you know, better people because they've learned to accept me who I am. And now they've changed their view and, and they are way more, their heart is way more open because I've just continued to be Marie, you know? And I, so I think just when you let others in it, that their reactions on them, that, that reactions on them. And while it can be painful and certainly it, it, you know, sometimes will be, I, I think not taking their reaction in, you can't like internalize their reaction and you have, you can continue to be consistently yourself and give that person a chance to grow because they've met someone like you who has this identity. And now your intersection of meeting them has given them a chance to evolve just like in some other ways you have to evolve. You know, um, I, I just think giving human beings a chance, uh, for me, that gave me hope. That gave me a glimmer of hope to hold on to because the hurt was very, it, it was very isolating, you know, especially because I love volleyball and I wanted to be a coach, you know. So, so to, like Brooke said, be forced to choose between who you are and what you want to be, cool, you know. So I think giving people a chance because people will and can evolve. Human beings can evolve. Nobody is statically who they are right now for the rest of their life. You can evolve. And so that, that gave me hope. And like I said, fast forward eight, nine years later, I mean, I've gotten those same people are, are speaking very differently now and are very accepting. And now they're very accepting to others who are having similar identities, which is great. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's so true. I think that trusting that wherever people are at they, they, they can and will change if you continue to stay in a relationship with them. I just want to add to that that if it is a harmful relationship and if it becomes um, a, a if, if it becomes dangerous for you, for your mental health, for your identity, um, then reach out and get the help that you need. Get out of the situation. Do whatever you need to do to protect your mental health and to protect yourself. And and there are mental health resources available for that. Trevor Project is a great resource. Um, that are also, free, right? That are, are free. free resources. That are free. That's important yes. to understand. There's, yeah. the, yes, thank you for that. That are free mental health resources, community mm -hmm. support groups. Mm -hmm. um, again, our our nonprofit is a great place to start um, protecting yourself and and 
getting yourself out of a dangerous situation and doing whatever you have to do to be able to stay true to yourself and be authentic and navigate that place. And maybe when you're stronger and you have that support system and that network, then maybe then you can continue to revisit those relationships and stay, stay in those relationships when you have support, but getting the support you need, getting community. Um, again, I'm speaking straight to LGBTQ athletes and coaches that are out there that might be feeling alone you're not alone so join us join others get support um you don't have to navigate this alone and 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 don't stay in a situation that is is dangerous for you i hope you can get yourself to a place that is safe and empowering um and hopefully over time those relationships will grow and change that's one thing that coaches can do i mean when you're listening to this podcast you can do it right now on your phone or your computer you can you can uh tabulate those resources and have them you know, so if you feel like in a situation you do encounter a conversation with your athlete and you're really worried about them, I mean, I'm a mandatory reporter for assault, um, for, for sex-based crimes, for harassment. I mean, I go through training on training on training. I have a one-sheeter on my phone, uh, a little notes tab in my in my Google Notes with numbers and, and a checklist of who I need to call when I encounter that situation. That's easy. I mean, for coaches to get prepared. That is one thing that coaches, I, I just thought of that, you mentioning it going online and, and getting okay what do I need to do okay so I have the situation an athlete is in danger and I'm worried about them you know what are what are the resource the free resources out there and how do I handle it here's the number here's the website you know you got to have a plan for that situation because you're gonna have to act you know you do have to act again we're, we're you're you're under the burden of responsibility for that person yeah I love that we're having this conversation here and and uh, kind of goes with, and it might be, it might sound like an easy answer, but how do we keep having these conversations outside of Pride Month, outside of National Coming Out Day? Uh, for anyone listening, how do we keep having these conversations the whole year around? Well, I feel like I do have these conversations <laughs> <Yeah>. the whole <laughs> right, year. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, w- one thing that I would like to, to see in the future is that um, we're bringing LGBTQ athletes and coaches into spaces to talk about something other than just the LGBTQ identity and advocacy that we're recognizing, you know, Marie as a coach and myself as a sport performance consultant in mental health and performance and, and having these conversations and it's just being normalized. And so just our presence then is an act of continuing an act of inclusion. Um, and, and, and not just with us, but all of the, the, the athletes and the coaches that, you know, that I, that I may not know that are within our, our volleyball community. So that, that, to me is what inclusion looks like um, and normalization looks like and yes continuing to have conversations around DEI and inclusion are extremely important and they should not be looked at as just like a you know just check the box here's the token conversation oh we did our DEI training no let's examine how our identities all parts of our identity um, inform team cohesion inform performance inform abilities to um, inform um, where we have tournaments where we um, job offers all of those things opportunities it's for, for someone with a marginalized identity it is a part of every conversation conversation and decision that that has to be made and so how can we we can just continue to to normalize that and to bring those conversations into every conversation one of the five pillars so at at DePaul you know all head coaches and our our athletic department is built around five pillars um you know academic excellence um building our DePaul brand uh competitive excellence 
developing and equipping uh, future leaders, and then obviously external philanthropy and community outreach. Um, and under that, those pillars, we have quite a bit of leadership development for our student athletes that we do. And then under that, as volleyball athletes, we do, I do quite a bit of leadership development. It needs to be added to those structures. You know, these conversations, it's not just about let's work on our volleyball communication on the court. So we make sure if a serve is put in in between a seam, I know if Brooke has it or I have it. You know, Brooke was the All-American. She's probably going to take it. But, uh, you know, it's it needs to be a become a part, an ingrained part of, again, the ecosystem and the structure of what's already happening. Nothing new needs to go in, again, because you you say new and people go, I don't have time. But you have built-in structures. Every team and club and high school has a built-in structure of how they operate their program. And within that structure, you're already doing a lot of these things. This topic, you know, and and a a couple of other topics that are important in, in today's day and age need to be meshed in there. So we're not only talking about how do you handle 13 all in the fifth set, you know, we're, we're also addressing a bullet point of that leadership development is addressing, you know, marginalized identities, marginalized communities. And then under that, we're talking about, you know, the, the LGBTQIA community. We're talking about, you know, um, racism right now in this country. We're talking about those things as well. Like we have to start having those conversations that has to be a part of our leadership development element. These parts of our, it can't just be, how do I make the best athlete possible? Cause that, that's why we're here is your volleyball identity is not your only identity you're walking into the gym with. You still got to win games, but you're already doing something in your club and your high school. You're already, you're already doing leadership development in some manner and, and you've already carved out time for that. So this just needs to be embedded in there. What you're already doing. Brooke, Marie, this has been incredible. I'm glad we got to sit down and you guys both have a busy schedule, I'm sure. A lot of people you're mingling with, but really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with us and and share uh, your stories and and your expertise with us. Uh, I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it, for sure. Thank Uh, you so much for having us. It was just really a a pleasure and honor to be here with you all. Where can people uh, find you, follow you, communicate with you if they have any questions? Yeah. Um, Sports Equality Foundation has a Facebook group called the Equality Coaching Alliance and um, GoSpace for athletes as well. We have a new app um, that we are spread sharing. We'll include it all in the show notes. Yep, yep. Headstrong Mindset is the name of my mental performance consulting um, website. All the resources are going to be on that LGBTQ resource page there as well. You can find me on my socials, Marie Zadek, on pretty much any platform uh, besides TikTok. I wasted way too much time on that during COVID. (laughs) I had to delete it. Um, And you also can find my email is on the DePaul University website. And uh, so is my phone number. Awesome. Yeah. And TikTok as well, right? I personally maybe we need to make a TikTok. Wait, we, we should make a TikTok. Oh, okay. that would be yeah. fun. ECA TikTok. <laughs> okay, I can do that. But <laughs> you do in. really get lost in it, though. Do you? I do, and then I started trying to make all these videos. And, yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you awesome. so much again, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you all. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. Another incredible conversation that we were able to capture at the ABCA convention. Man, I just think back to that weekend. It was such a 
crazy, hectic, busy, but incredible weekends of just all like all volleyball across the board. And that included our conversation with Brooke and Marie. Uh, One of my one of my highlights from from that weekend, from what I remember, and I, I just felt like, you know, by the end of it, but like we could just keep going and talk, talk more with them and just get more information from them and and just really dive deep into that. So hopefully we can have them back on or, or even more experts in the space back on to continue this conversation because it's it's such an important topic uh, and one that should be, you know, we talk about this, you know, offline all the time. We want to continue these conversations ongoing throughout the year and not just once or twice a year. Um, you know, with Pride Month or National Coming Out Day, uh, we want to continue that conversation, and, and hopefully, yeah, down the road we can just bring in more experts to to continue that conversation, and um, you know, just get more information, more resources, um, how we can better the community for sure. Absolutely, and already thinking about twenty twenty three of just who won. Hope we can you know bring the podcast to you know twenty twenty three in Tampa. Yeah, like, um, yeah. Know, like 2022. But I mean, I like you said, um, once everything got started, once that 10 plus hour drive from <laughs> Denver, Colorado Springs to <clears throat> Omaha was done, once we were there, we were there. And it was just such a wealth of yeah. information and networking and just, again, first time being there, just taking it all in on top of that and just, you know, seeing what went right, what went wrong and you know, talking to these amazing individuals. And yeah, I think this is one of our, you know, final interviews that we're, you know, kind of posting here on the uh, on the podcast, on the show uh, here. And it's just now we want to do it again and again and again and again. And just, again, continue conversations like you said, but also, you know, make the progress, make the not only make the progress and continue the conversations, but do the work that's required to, you know, support these conversations, to support these individuals that we interview and, you know, hear their side of things and, you know, just, just do what needs to be done. Yeah, definitely. If that makes sense. No, that's <laughs> definitely. That, a little bit. No, that did. Yeah. Get the information and then, and then make the action plan, but put it into action afterwards too. We're saying. Um, so yeah, definitely understood what you're saying there, but Really appreciate Brooke and Marie for telling some of their personal stories as well. Um, Absolutely. I, I hope our listeners were able to connect with those and, and get a lot out of that um, to hopefully bring back to, to their clubs and, and their lives as well. But like I said, we're, we're really hopeful to have more experts into this space uh, come on to our podcast down the road and continue this conversation. Most importantly, for listeners, whether you're athletes, coaches, parents, if you have questions or or looking for additional information or resources, check out headstrongmindset.com. You can also check out the trevorproject.com, lbgthotline.org. More resources can be found in our show description as well, or on our USA Volleyball, our very own USA Volleyball DEI page at usavolleyball.org backslash DEI. Once again, just a huge, huge thank you uh, again to Brooke and 
and to Marie uh, for sitting down with us. I'm not sure how many of uh, you have been to an ABCA convention, uh, but like, you know, like we mentioned in past episodes and, you know, a few seconds ago talking about this, but it is jam packed with incredible speakers all around. Uh, so the fact that they took time out of their busy schedule uh, was so awesome. And you know, you can, you can follow Brooke and Marie on social media. Uh, they're both open to answering questions from you. So definitely reach out and, and learn more, see how you can support them, see what, you know, you know, you, you guys can, to con- what you guys can continue to do for each other and you know, just continue to make, you know, progress towards the right foot, make the right foot forward. Just right, right. You know, that, that little, <laughs> you got there, you got there. <laughs> Man, I've, my voice is gone and I'm trying, but again, uh, was such an amazing sit down conversation and, you know, just a lot of personal and, you know, uh, just informational stories there, you know, such a great conversation for sure. So thank you. Definitely. Let's move on to upcoming events. We have the Ron John Beach and Board Fest, March 11th through the 12th in Cocoa Beach, Florida. The Mad Sand Juniors March uh, on March 11th in Plano, Texas. The SCBA Red Rock Rave Girls National Qualifier Week 2, March 11th through the 13th at Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Las Vegas. The SSOVA March Treasure Island March Oh, March 12th. A couple marches in that title there. <laughs> A little repetitive. That's okay. March on March 12th in Treasure Island, Florida. Mid-East Girls National Qualifier Week 1 on March 17th through the 19th in Indianapolis. The Northern Lights Girls National Qualifier Week 2, March 17th through the 19th in Minneapolis. The Mideast Girls 18s National Qualifier, March 17th through the 19th, also in Indianapolis. Good luck to everyone competing in those events. Shout out to all the USAB region setting up and hosting those events. More details and all on all upcoming events can be found at usavolleyball.org. Now, on to the pro side of things. We have several pro events going on in March. I think we're kind of, as we said, we're in the heat of it now. We're, we're also in the heat of pro season too uh, for our USA teams. But starting with the Norseka U19 Boys Continental Championship, March 11th through the 19th in Guatemala. The Beach Pro Tour Challenge in La Paz March on March 16th through the 19th in La Paz, Mexico. The Beach Pro Tour Futures and let's see if I can get this Mount Manganoy. I think I got that. I think you got that. March. I'm March that up. Through the my players are sick. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and lastly, we have the Beach Pro Tour Elite 16 and the big uh, Mexico. That's March 22nd through the 26th. Uh, and that's it for right now for for March for pro for pro events. But let's. Uh, Let's hear about uh, some club reminders from you, Clarence. You know, in the thick of qualifying season, like we just mentioned in the beginning of the episode, Sunshine Qualifier is a wrap. But we do have Salt Lake City Showdown coming up April 8th through the 10th and April 14th through the 16th. Registration is still open, but it is closing very, very soon. We are also getting very, 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 very close to that. Ooh, USA Volleyball Show uh, mug cameo right there. Love that. Oh, yeah. But yes, we're also getting very close to that uh, registration refund deadline. So if you're a team that is in the system right now and have not completed your registration requirements, meaning you have entered into the event, 
pay the registration fee and taking care of your housing requirements through our partner, Tingshot Resource. And you do that very, very, very quickly, or you will be dropped from the tournament. And if you're looking to add, you need to get in and, and do those requirements ASAP. We also have registration open for our Open National Championship, uh, which is for our adults, uh, lovely, lovely, lovely competitive adults in Dallas, Texas from May 26th through the 31st. Again, good luck to all teams traveling and competing in our national and regional qualifiers. Thank you to all the regional commissioners that are also helping put on <coughs> their qualifiers in their, in their specific regions. Uh, it's a lot of hard work, but, you know, it's got to be done and we're doing it to the best of our abilities. And you guys are doing it to the best of your abilities, too. So thank you for that. More information on dates, divisions, deadlines can always be found at usavolleyball.org. Remember, listeners, you can rate and review, share with friends, family, teammates. It really helps this podcast grow and reach new listeners. And now check out our video episodes as well going up on our website and YouTube channel. We thank you for your continued support do you know a club that should be featured or an athlete uh parent coach who should be featured you'd like us to share their story on this podcast you can email us at the usab show at usab.org leave us feedback there as well uh, we love to hear from you uh, we want to hear about any future topics uh conversations that you want us to have here on the podcast but until next time you are listening to the usa volleyball show the official podcast of USA Volleyball. This has been the USA Volleyball Show with Clarence Hughes and Stephen Munson. Produced by Curtis Ward. Our content producer is Laura Fawcett. Our marketing lead is Bree J. Cox. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate and review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the USA Volleyball Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.